0: female GM in Major League Baseball has stepped down, and a woman has been interviewed for a managerial position for her first time. Plus, with the WNBA's Finals ongoing, we'll take a look at that league's relationship to the NBA. It's Tuesday, October 17th, I'm Senior Writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. WNBA has been intertwined with the NBA in a number of ways, most obviously its ownership groups and arenas, but some think that this is not a good long-term model. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Great. Great to have you here. So you looked into this for a feature on frontofficesports.com. What did you turn up?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting thing going on in the WNBA, which was started by the NBA about 25 years ago, and now it's kind of branching off into its own, own league, although about half of the teams are still owned by their NBA counterparts. Um, for example, you have the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mer- Mercury that share an ownership group, right? Well, then you have, uh, say, look in Atlanta, you have the Atlanta Hawks who are not affiliated with the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA, two separate ownership groups. They don't even play in the same arena, although they share a city. So it's a really interesting thing going on as the league grows. They're going to be welcoming a new franchise in 2025 that will play in the Bay Area and be owned by the same owners of the Golden State Warriors. Well, they'll share, share facilities and be under the same team operations and front office. So it's kind of what what's best for a WNBA team being associated with uh, their NBA counterpart or not.
0: Yeah. And I think the Warriors and the um, Joe Tsai with the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty present interesting interesting case studies in that uh, those are NBA franchises that are proven that their owners invest. They want to win. They want to put a big, exciting product on the floor. Um, You couldn't say that about every single ownership group. But one thing you get with um, ownership groups like Joe Lacob in the Bay Area is um, a, a certain level of certainty that they have shown something already, but it's, you wouldn't necessarily want every NBA ownership group uh, to uh, be affiliated with a WNBA team, even when that's available.
1: Right. And I think the sentiment that I got from speaking with uh, a lot of various people in and around the league is that, yes, it's great to have this investment from, say, an NBA ownership group, but it really just comes down to whether it's an NBA team that owns a WNBA team or an independent ownership group. You have to invest in the team. You have to invest in the product, no matter what, it doesn't matter what your net worth is or what your overall um, resources are. If you're not putting them behind a women's team, it doesn't matter if you're associated with an NBA team or not, you, you need to put money into a WNBA team for it to succeed.
0: To sort of state the obvious here, one huge advantage you have with being associated with an NBA team is that you've you've got the arena most likely that you can share. Uh, you also may have practice facilities, though not necessarily the exact same ones. But you also may have some um, you know shared marketing resources, shared front office resources. Eventually, those become split at a certain level. But it reminds me a little bit of the multi club ownership model that we see in global soccer where, you know, you might have seven teams under one ownership group, and the less lucrative teams can draw resources from the the mothership. Not a perfect example, but that does just seem like a huge, huge advantage that some of these co-owned teams have.
1: Yeah, and that is a, a great example. And you see that uh, across European soccer, a lot of those major clubs will have uh, women's clubs that are very successful. You look at, I think it was Barcelona uh, had set an attendance record for a while for a, a women's soccer match uh, last year. But I think that's a really good point that you bring up because, you know, it, for the story that I wrote, I did speak with the managing partner of the Atlanta Dream, Larry Goddard Steiner, and, and he is an independent owner. He's not connected to, like I said, the Hawks earlier or a, any other franchise. The, the Dreamer, his team, his ownership groups, Team And he's really passionate about the fact that he thinks the WNBA needs more independent ownership. He thinks that long term, there's just too many conflicts for a dual ownership group to really put all of their focus and resources behind one WNBA team. And I think he would probably say that was for whether you're connected to uh, a men's NBA team. If you're like Mark Davis, that you have uh, the Oakland Raiders, that's your primary uh, source of wealth or uh, a number of other things. You look at the Sparks, they're owned by uh, a lot of people that own the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I, I think it's a fair point in that, yes, in an ideal world, uh, every WNBA team would have a, a fabulously rich owner that was putting a lot of money behind their WNBA team. But that's not really the reality of it. So I think looking looking ahead, there's going to continue to be a mix. The The league itself told Front Office Sports that they don't have a preference for one style of ownership group. Both have been successful. And of course, as you mentioned earlier in this WNBA finals, we have one of each. The the ACE is independently owned and the Liberty um, in conjunction with an NBA team. So it it is fascinating. And I think we're going to kind of get this mix as more expansion teams come in, at least as we get to 14 teams in 2025. What will be interesting to see though is you know, as more teams become available, if an independent group wants to move off of their team, would they sell to an independent owner? Or would they potentially sell to an NBA team in their market if that team was even interested? I think that's going to be something really interesting to follow if and when any of these WNBA teams in the league become available for sale.
0: Yeah, absolutely. David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. The 11th largest media market in the U.S. no longer has a regional sports network. RSNs are like Jenga Towers, and Valley Sports Arizona, owned by Diamond Sports Group, showed just how fast the whole thing can fall apart when you start pulling away the pieces. First, the Phoenix Suns and Mercury, under the new ownership of Matt Ishbia, struck a deal with over-the-air broadcaster Gray Television and distributed more than 10,000 TV antennas to fans in the area to allow them to watch games. They also have their own streaming service. Shortly after, Diamond dropped the Diamondbacks, prompting MLB to step in and produce games for the team. And the final straw came earlier this month when Diamond got the green light from a bankruptcy court to drop the Arizona Coyotes. The NHL team was happy enough to make that line change, swapping in another over the air broadcaster, Scripps Sports. With the larger Jenga Tower of cable television falling apart, more teams will look to do something similar with a specialized streaming service complemented by an antenna you can plug into your TV. Whether that setup can print money for teams the way Cable did remains to be seen. The San Francisco Giants need a new manager after parting ways with Gabe Kapler, and they've interviewed a few members of their coaching staff for the role, including assistant coach Alyssa Nacken. Just the interview itself is something of a breakthrough because it is the first known interview of a woman for a managerial position in MLB and possibly any of the four major U.S. sports. Last year, Nacken became the first woman to take the field as an MLB coach, when she replaced first base coach Antoine Richardson during a game against the San Diego Padres after Richardson was ejected. We have seen women move into more prominent roles in team front offices and sports media positions that used to be exclusively men, and now the door is cracking open in the dugout, the bench, and the sidelines. Meanwhile, the first female GM in one of the big four sports, Kim Ng of the Miami Marlins, chose to decline her mutual option to stay with the team after reportedly being told that the Marlins wanted to hire someone above her and that there are many instances in the past where she felt like she was stripped of her power. Up next, I spoke to another former Marlins exec, David, David Sampson, on what happened with Ng, what the deal is with that franchise, why the other Florida team, the Tampa Bay Rays, are staying in the area despite not being able to draw fans, and the much-discussed format of the NLB playoffs. That conversation is coming up next. All right. I am joined now by former Miami Marlins president, host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson, and currently doing pre- and post-game analysis for CBS Sports, David Sampson. Welcome, David.
2: Good to be back.
0: Great to have you back, Uh, especially on this interesting day in Marlins' world. So Kim Ng has uh, declined her mutual option uh, as general manager of the Marlins. She will be moving on from that franchise Uh, ESPN's Jeff Passon reported that chairman and managing owner Bruce Sherman wanted to hire someone above her to run the baseball operations. You worked under Sherman. What's your
2: reaction to this news? So I worked under Sherman for about 12 minutes. So that's when uh, (laughs) when Jeter took over the team. He had gotten rid of me because he started running the team. And I think you have to go back to that moment, which is not my last moment after 18 years. It's the moment where Derek Jeter said, I'm going to run this team. And Bruce Sherman did not do anything or stop him or being, he wasn't involved at all. And Derek Jeter did everything. And then he brought in Kim Ang and it was great PR for the Marlins. They had the first female GM in all the four professional North American sports. Except what people don't realize is that it was Derek Jeter doing everything. And that I don't want to say Kim was a figurehead, but the reality is that Kim, with her strong administrative background, was not doing player procurement. Derek Jeter was in charge and he was doing it with his guy, Gary Dembo. So then cut two. Derek Jeter gets fired. Then Kim is there and she's working with Bruce Sherman and Bruce Sherman realizes that he wants someone stronger in place to be the president of baseball operations. And that is not an insult to Kim at all. It is a recognition that he wants to A, be more involved and B, wanted more help. And so he let Kim know how it was going to be. And I have great respect for both of them. Kim has been great and will continue and will find a landing spot. And she was brought in as the non-face of the Marlins because that's what Jeter was. And then when he left, she became the face and the Marlins realized that it was going to be difficult to part ways, which is why they did the statement, which was, we picked up her option and she declined it. And then it had to come out that they were going to put in a president of baseball ops and she didn't want to be number two. This is a regular power struggle, very normal in companies, including baseball. So the result of it is not surprising to me because I think the Marlins will be fine, and so will Kim.
0: yeah, yeah, I think and, and you know, and the Marlins did well under Kim. I mean, made the playoffs this year, made the playoffs in twenty twenty, and I forget where that stands in the the progression of of who is in charge doing what. Um, but yeah, for a franchise that's had its ups and downs, it's it's perhaps on the rise now interesting you bring up Jeter because he said something very similar on his way out, which is that uh, I realized I was not on the same page as the Marlins ownership and upper management. And so I am, I am moving on. Um, uh, I see
2: you shaking your head already. It's literally ridiculous (laughs) that he said that. And the fact that anyone believes that he was fired period, because he said he would deliver certain revenue goals and certain things from a financial standpoint that he never delivered. And so he also did not involve Bruce Sherman at all. And Bruce Sherman was the one putting in the majority of the money and the losses that had not been contemplated when Jeter took over. So it was not in any way a philosophical difference. It was a, we don't want you here anymore. That's how it actually happened. But, of course, you let Jeter say that. Just let like you let Kim say what she said. It's very common when you're doing, a, making a move like this where there's a resignation. Buck Showalter resigned Billy Mm -hmm. Epler resigned. It's interesting how that happens because it's always one second after you've been let go.
0: Yeah. And actually my, my men went straight to will Kimming be the new Mets GM? Of course she would have to be second to David Stearns. Now Um, it'll be interesting to see if she can find a, you know, numero uno president of baseball ops role um, going forward because um, you know, she's got the credentials. Um, So do we know anything about the Sherman, I mean, you can speak from experience or, you know, the recent news or anything else, um, the Marlins under Sherman, what's kind of his defining impact on this team?
2: Well, he's just getting his sea legs because for the four years under Jeter, he really had no say over anything. If you asked him and he were forced to tell you the truth, he would probably tell you he wasn't even aware that Mike Hill was not being brought back by Jeter. But he'd really have to be under the truth serum because it's hard to admit that you had given the reins over to someone who wouldn't even communicate with you. So Sherman is now beginning to be an owner like the other owners. So he's called meddling. Not at all. He's an owner. That's what owners do. And he's trying to figure out what is best for his organization. And anyone who's looking at that team sees a payroll that was higher than revenues allow, sees a record in one-run games that is not sustainable, sees an offense that struggled, and sees pitching that's hurt. So trying to figure out what to do, realizing that you've got to get young players You've got to get young hitters, and you've got to sprinkle it with free agents and not make any mistakes. And him saying that he wants more help in addition to Kim, and then Kim saying, I only want to be number one or nothing, all of that is very normal, growing pains. So I think we're going to start to see what Sherman's ownership is like over the next one to four years.
0: All right. Very interesting. Let's hop over to the MLB playoffs. So I don't know if anyone's pointed this out yet, but all the 100 win teams are gone. Um, What does this mean for the incentives? That's
2: obviously a joke in putting rosters together. This is a debate that I would say I had at least twice a week from 2003 to 2017. Literally. I'm not kidding you. Who would you rather be is how the debate goes. Do you want to be the Braves, win the division every year, and win one World Series in 1995? Or do you want to be the Marlins and win two World Series and not be in the playoffs any other time? Looking back, everyone says, well, I'll take the rings. Looking forward, people say, no, I want the chance to win the ring, so let me be in the playoffs. And that's sort of how I'm looking at this situation with the MLB format everybody's going to say, oh, what a waste the regular season is. Why bother winning 100 games? You may have agents who say, look, it's a race to mediocrity because of the expanded playoffs, and that was a big issue in collective bargaining. But I would encourage people to look look at this differently. Being in the playoffs the way the Dodgers are year after year, the way the Cardinals were until this year, the Yankees were until this year, with very few exceptions, you at least have a chance to have a ground ball go your way or some sort of blue base hit go your way, or get a pitching performance like we're seeing out of Jordan Montgomery, you'll want the chance. But I get that we all base it on rings until our team's eliminated, and then we say, I can't believe we didn't make it further. So my argument to you, Owen, is give me a chance to win the ring in advance, but looking back, give me the ring.
0: Right, and I I feel like people will say like, oh, here's how you win in the playoffs. It's different from the regular season. And I just don't see the evidence for that. I mean, the Phillies got to the World Series last year, have a very good shot this year. And they just smash home runs and hit more home runs than the other team, which is what, you know, you hit all this, like, you know, it's all small ball in the playoffs. I mean, they're getting great pitching,
2: too. Yeah, let's not forget that what what the Phillies have is Nolan Wheeler is a true one-two And then they have a bullpen that is all of a sudden, you know, bending and not breaking. And you're seeing that on the American League side, the Texas Rangers, the most maligned bullpen in baseball. And all of a sudden they're getting the job done and they only have to get it done for seven more times. That's it. And they'll be they'll have rings. But I remember when we won the World Series, we blew a bunch of saves. It happens. Everybody's tired at the end of the year. Everybody's arms are about to fall off. So you need to get performance where you didn't necessarily expect it, and you need to get lucky. Look at the Alex Bregman yesterday. I don't know when you're releasing this, Owen, but the Alex Bregman fly ball to uh, Carter in left field. It would have been a home run five feet to the left, and that would have been it, a game time home run. Instead, it's a double play in the eighth inning, and that's it. That's the kind of stuff you need to have happen when things are going your way in the playoffs.
0: Right, and that speaks to the the notion that you just need chances. Like <laughs> you, you need to get your shot and then it's, you know, you're you're 1 in 12 basically, um, you know, with some modifications, but you're not much better than 1 in 12 at the start of the playoff.
2: You bring up a great point because 1 in 12 is correct except for the people with the buy and then they're 1 in 8. So that's a damn big right,
0: difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I think the buy is still a good thing. Agreed. Yeah. Would you make any
2: changes to this this current playoff format for any reason? Well, my dream when I was in baseball was to go from 162 to 154 and make the first round best of seven. And I want more playoff mm-hmm. games. I want more elimination games. So I was okay with expanding the playoffs and having, a one, having some teams play one game. And if you win, you're in like a play-in, almost a play-in tournament like the NBA does because I thought the broadcasters would buy that, and I think they would. But because of the calendar, that has to come with fewer regular season games. And we couldn't get certain teams to agree to have four fewer home games, which is what would happen by going 162 to 154. You would lose four home games and four away games. But there were teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Giants and the Cubs and the Cardinals. They all wanted to be reimbursed for their four lost home games. Teams like the Marlins and the Guardians and the Royals and the Rays said, hey, bring it on. Uh, we'd like four fewer home games. So there's never been agreement on the ownership side. And the union doesn't want it either because we wanted to pay them 154, 160 seconds of their salary to play four fewer home games, four of eight fewer games total. And the players wanted 162, 154. And so that was another... Hmm. Cause of disagreement. So I think that to expand playoffs and to make the division series seven games would be great, but it requires shortening the regular season and that requires uh, being at the table, collective bargaining table.
0: Right. Yeah. one more topic for you before we go kind of old news now, but the rays had a pretty meager crowd for their playoff series. (laughs) Now they want to build a new stadium in the same area. Uh, Is this as bad an idea as it sounds?
2: Boy, I'm still upset with Major League Baseball for announcing 19,000 and 20,000 for the wild card. I know baseball is happy that the Rays lost so they didn't have to host any more games. But speaking as a connoisseur of making up attendance, all of this would have been avoided. It never would have been talked about if they announced 31,000. People would have said, oh, it didn't look that crowded, but then you forget about it. Now it's a story two weeks later and a year later. But if you're Stu Sternberg, it's certainly something you have to think about. Because even with the Marlins... When we made the playoffs in 03, we were drawing 65,000 people to every home game other than the first one, and we drew 61,000 to that one. So I thought to myself, a ballpark with 38,000, piece of cake, no problem. And I was wrong. So Tampa for sure has to be thinking about that, but also what are their choices? They're not able to move to northern New Jersey. They can't become the third team there or in Boston or in Hartford. They're not going to be able to pay the relocation fee. And they're not gonna get it waived the way John Fisher is purportedly having it waived. So what option does he have other than St. Pete? And you figure out, can you do it? You do it, and then if it doesn't work, you sell the team. Someone buys it saying, hey, I'll do better than you. Maybe Jeter will be looking for another team by then. I'll do better than Mm -hmm. you, and you get your money out. So either way, uh, Stu Sternberg has no choice but to do the ballpark in St. Petersburg and to tell you that that's where he wanted it to begin with and whether or not he's right, uh, time will definitely tell. David Sampson, thank you so much for joining us on
0: the show. My pleasure, thank you, have a great day. That's it for today, subscribe to Front Office Sports Today on the podcast platform of your choice. We have some great interviews coming up, you won't want to miss them. Thanks for listening, we will see you tomorrow.